Pastor Jeff and Lisa are in Hawaii. Yay for them. So I get to be here again with you guys tonight one last time. And I get to share a little bit more with you guys. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I'm just going to jump right in, if you don't mind. So we're going to go to John chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 1. And I'm going to go ahead and start reading, and you guys can just catch up when you get there. John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village where Mary and her sister Martha lived. Now it was Mary who anointed the Lord's feet with perfumed oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent a message to Jesus, Lord, look, the one you love is sick. And when Jesus heard this, he said, the sickness will not lead to death, but to God's glory, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Chapter, or verse 6, so when he heard Lazarus was sick, he remained in the place where he was for two more days. In verse 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to awaken him. The disciples replied, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had been talking about his death, but they thought he had been talking about real sleep. Verse 17, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days already. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. So many of the Jewish people of the region had come to Martha and Mary to console them over the loss of their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary was sitting in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will grant you. And Jesus replied, your brother will come back to life again. And Martha said, I know that he will come back to life again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And the one who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she replied, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who comes into the world. And then when she had said this, Martha went and called her sister Mary, saying privately, The teacher is here and is asking for you. So when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still in the place where Martha had came out to meet him. And then the people who were there with, Martha, or with Mary in the house, consoling her, saw her get up and quickly go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. Okay, we're going to pick up here a little bit later. The first thing I wanted to point out that God just really laid on my heart is found in verse one or verse four, chapter eleven, and it's that God has a plan. In verse four, it says, "The sickness will not lead to death, but to God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it." God had a plan. Jesus knew before Lazarus died or got sick that this is what was going to happen. He understood that God would be glorified through Lazarus' death. It kind of seems contradictory here. He seems like he's wrong when he says the sickness will not lead to death, and Lazarus did, in fact, die, right? But we know that it's through this, Jesus knew that it was through this physical death that a supernatural 
life would come forth and we would see the glory of God. As I got to thinking about this, I thought about Lazarus and how he could not ever be the same after he came back to life. If he had died, the word of God says that when we die, we are present with God in heaven, right? To be absent from the earth, to be absent from our body is to be present with the Lord. So Lazarus died and for four days was in heaven with God. Do you think that when he came back to life and was resurrected, that he lived a life the same way as he did before. I mean, there's, there's no possible way. There's no way that you could die, go to heaven, be with God for days, which to God a day is a thousand years and a thousand years a day. We don't know how long it felt like to him he was there, but he was there for four earthly days, and then he's brought back to life. There's no way he could live the same life he lived before he went to heaven, before he encountered God, Right? There are areas in our life that God speaks into us and says, hey, this, is not, this area in your life is not going to die. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's something that we've been praying for, and it seems like in the natural, it's not happening. It's not going the way we're praying for, or maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's a, a dream that you had that seems like it's not going to happen. It's prayers, whatever. It's a job that you lost, but... Whatever it is, we can trust that God has a plan. And he wants to bring that area back to life supernaturally. Not necessarily in the physical, but in the supernatural. God sees death differently than we do. It's not an end, although here it is an end, an earthly end to us, what we understand, but it is a beginning. Right? So Lazarus, there's no way after he died, he was the same person when he came back. In verse 11, it says, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to awaken him. And then the disciples replied, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had been talking about his death, but they thought he'd been talking about real sleep. See, Jesus can see both in the natural, what's happening in this earth, on this earth, and in the supernatural, what God wants to do. God, I believe, wants to give us that supernatural eyesight where we can see things happening here on earth in our life and yet ask the Lord, Lord, help me see what you're doing. Give me, give me an understanding of what you're doing in my life beyond what I can physically see, beyond what's happening right now. Lord, will you give me eyesight into what you want to do? And oftentimes we can miss what God is doing when we just look at what's right in front of us. You know that saying, you can't see the forest for the trees? You know? We can miss what God's doing because we're looking at it from an earthly perspective, from a human natural perspective, and not from a perspective that God wants to give us, that supernatural eyesight into, hey, this is what I want to do. And it's interesting to me that the story here parallels Jesus' death. I mean, it... Follow me here, because I'm going to sidetrack for a second. The disciples were with him at this time when Lazarus had died. And they saw firsthand that Jesus raised him from the dead. And yet, when it came time for Jesus to die, 
Jesus even told them he was going to die and that he was going to be resurrected in three days. And they still didn't understand it. Even though they saw this happen with Lazarus, and then Jesus prepared them. If we go to Matthew 17, it's about the trans- first off, it's about the transfiguration. And I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to read bits and pieces of Matthew 17. Um, so he t- Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to a mountain by themselves, and there he was transfigured before them. It says, His face shone like the sun in verse 2, and his clothes became as white as the light. And we go down to verse 5, and Peter's, Peter's there, and he's like, Lord, this is really good for you here. You look great. You're shining like the sun. Like, this is a good place. We need to, we need to stay here. And while Peter's still speaking, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down in terror. They're like, oh my gosh, God is speaking to us. Now, if we go down to verse 9, they were coming down from the mountain and Jesus commanded them, do not tell anyone about this vision until the son of man has been raised from the dead. So this is the first time he's talking about this to his disciples. And it's just to Peter, James, and John. And this passage um, about the transfiguration is also, it's in Matthew 17, it's also in Mark, Luke, and 2 Peter, it's talked about. And the disciples asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? So they're trying to figure out, well, how come the Son of Man's going to die, but isn't Elijah supposed to come first? And Jesus replied, Elijah does indeed come first, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him whatever they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man will suffer at their hands. Again, he's talking about these people don't have supernatural eyesight, that God already sent Elijah, and he was talking about John the Baptist here. John the Baptist had the anointing of Elijah, and he was sent first before Jesus to prepare the way, and nobody recognized it. Nobody saw it. Because, again, they're just looking with the natural, their natural eyesight. And the second prediction of Jesus' death is, is still in, in Matthew 17. Go down to verse 22. And this is where he's talking with all the disciples. So not just Peter, James, and John. When they've gathered together in Galilee, Jesus told them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And all the disciples deeply grieved. So we see here that God's voice had been heard clearly saying who Jesus was. And Jesus is warning them, don't tell anybody about this till the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And then he very clearly said, the Son of Man is about to die. And they will kill him, and on the third day he'll be raised to life. What I'm trying to say here is, these disciples, they saw the miracle of Lazarus. They heard firsthand Jesus saying, I'm about to die. I'm going to be dead for three days, and then I'll be raised from the dead. And they still didn't understand. We can miss what God is doing when we only look in the natural, when we don't ask God for wisdom, when we don't ask God for insight. We can miss what he's doing. But he still has a plan, and he wants to give us that wisdom and that insight into what he's doing in our life. God wants to prepare you for the plan he has for you. And he wants to share encouragement with us about this plan, but the question is if we're willing to listen and ask for wisdom from the Lord. And now God's not going to reveal everything to us. God is omnipotent. 
but he doesn't leave us hanging. He gives us some idea of what's going to happen. Okay, so let's go back to John 11 and pick up there where we left off. So we see that God has a plan, and the next thing that God wants to show us is that he has a purpose for what he's going to do. There's a purpose and intentionality to everything that God does. You know, sometimes it might feel like things are chaotic, but we have to remember that God is the creator of the universe, and he's not up in heaven just experimenting with our lives. He's not up there like a mad scientist, like, "Ah, I wonder if this is going to work. Or he's not up there fretting, going, oh, this is not going the way I thought it was going to go. Like, I'm just going to hold on and hope that they, they make it through this. God is seated on the throne of throne. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is in control. He has a purpose and a plan. Deuteronomy 10, verse 17, says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awesome God. And 1 Timothy 16, or 6, verses 15 and 16, says, He is blessed and the only sovereign one, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He alone is immortal and dwells in inapproachable light, and no one has ever seen him, nor can anyone see him. To him be the honor and eternal dominion. Amen. He has a plan. He has control. But he's also willing to let us in on what he's going to do in our life if we're willing to listen, if we're willing to ask for wisdom. God wants to make it plain for us. And we see here that he does. In verse 14 of John 11, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, but I'm glad for your sake that I was not there so that you may believe. But now let us go to him. So Thomas, called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us go too so that we may die with him. He still doesn't get it. God's like, or Jesus is like, we're going to go. He's dead, but I'm so glad for your sake that we weren't there because you're going to believe in me. You're going to believe in God. So his purpose was so that others may believe. And so that they may believe, so that when it comes time for Jesus to die, They can believe and say, oh, remember Lazarus was raised from the dead. Jesus can be too, right? So what if what is happening in our lives is so that others can see Christ and believe as well? God has a plan and a purpose. Last week, I shared with you... um, Jeremiah 29, 11, which is one of my absolute favorite verses, but I want to revisit this passage and not just read Jeremiah 29, 11. I want to start at Jeremiah 29, 10, because I think it's really important that we get this big picture here. For this is what the Lord says, when Babylon's 70 years are complete, I will attend to you and confirm my promise to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Oftentimes we take Jeremiah 29, 11 and we are so excited. God has a plan for me and it's a prosper me and to give me hope and a future and that is true. That is absolutely true. But we cannot forget 
that who he's talking to right now are people that were exiled from their home country for years. God's plan doesn't mean that our lives are going to be easy. I mean, we've seen this again and again and again through Scripture. We can start with David, for example. David at 14 was promised to be king. But for years he was chased by Saul. He was, he was abused by Saul when he worked with Saul. And he didn't actually become king until he was 37. He had years of running from, from an enemy. Saul made himself David's enemy. We see this. We also see this in Joseph's life. So Joseph, as a young man, has a dream. Okay, my family's going to bow down to me. He goes and tells his brothers, and what happens? His brothers throw him in a pit. They sell him into slavery. Now, at this point, has he done anything wrong? Not really. I mean, he might have been a little bit cocky with his brothers, like, hey, you're going to bow down to me. But really, he hasn't done, he shared a vision that God showed him, okay? And he's sold into slavery. He then is accused, of, falsely accused of being with Potiphar's wife. Then he's thrown into prison, and he's there for years because we know that the baker forgot about him for two years. So he's there for years. All throughout this time, God is still having favor in his life, but he's not living an easy life, folks. He's in jail for something he didn't even do. But we see that when, he is, when he's reconciled with his brothers and they come back and they're like, please forgive us after, after his, his father dies. Please forgive us and have mercy on us. And he says to them, what you intended for harm, God intended for good. We can't forget that our life is not going to be easy, that he does have a plan to prosper us, but along the way there's going to be humbling experiences, experiences of pain and frustration and not understanding what God is doing. But what's really cool is Joseph was, Joseph was able to really be a witness for God in this place that did not know our God. What if God's plan for our life and for these hard times is for us to be a light to those around us and for others to see God in and through our life. I love to, in, in verse um, 11 or 13 and 14, it says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. These verses are not an empty promise of God. God promises that he's going to prosper us and that he, he wants us. Our life is to be a life of, of hope and a future. But the promise also is that we have to seek him with our whole heart in order to find him, right? So even, we see here that even when God makes his plan clear to us, we don't always understand it in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain. So let's go back to verse 16, John eleven sixteen. Thomas says, let us go too so that we may die with him. Kind of, kind of a dramatic thing. Jesus is like, let's go see Lazarus. I'm so glad I wasn't there. I'm, you know, you're going to see God glorified. And Thomas is like, yeah, we'll just go and we can just die with Lazarus, all of us. <laughs> okay. It's not really what Jesus is talking about here. But I love that too because clearly Thomas is, is in pain. He's, in, he's having grief from this. This is, this is a close friend of his. It's someone that he cared about in his life. And he's, he's in pain. And we have those, we have sometimes those moments of like, God, why are you letting this happen? I don't understand. I don't. I don't get it. And we don't, we don't have to get it, right? We have to know that when we seek him, 
we will find him when we seek him with all of our heart. So I want to look at this passage now um, from Martha and Mary's perspective. Because I feel like the next thing that this passage shows us is not only that, that God has a plan and God has a purpose, but that God is patient with us. So we know, we just read about that Martha came out to meet Jesus right away. Right in verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary was sitting in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will grant you. And Jesus replied, your brother will come back to life again. And Martha said, I know that he will come back to life again in the resurrection at the last day. Martha believed that, there, that he was going to come back to life at the resurrection of the last day. Right? When God calls us all home, we're all going to come back to life. That you know, all those who have died, we're all going to be joined back together again. She believed the Lord. She had faith to believe him. She just didn't understand what he was saying right then and right there. So let's go to the first thing she said. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. She acknowledges her feelings to Jesus. Like, God, if Jesus, if you would have been here, we wouldn't be in this situation. She's being honest with him because he's also her friend. I know that if you would have been here, he would not have died, right? But she also believed that Jesus couldn't do anything, and she says that. If you ask, whatever you ask of God, God will grant you. And I think it's interesting that we see here Martha is the one in the Bible that's known for being kind of a doer, you know? And Mary's the one that really gets, oh, you need to be like Mary, you need to sit at Jesus' feet. But we see here the faith that Martha had. We can see, she, she's like, God, you can, you, you can ask God anything and he will do it for you. She knew, and she knew the word of God. She knew that, again, I know that he will come back to life again at the resurrection of the last day. She had faith. She believed what Jesus was saying. And I also thought it was really interesting if you go back to verse 5. It, it does talk about, and I think it's verse 2, it talks about um, how Jesus, Mary was the one known for you know, the perfumed oil on Jesus' feet. You know, she's, okay, they're like, this is who Mary is. She's the one that did the oil on Jesus' feet and wiped it with her hair. But in verse 5, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He named Martha by name. And it's not that he didn't love Mary or Lazarus, but I think this is really a neat opportunity for us to see, even in those areas of our life where we struggle with our walk with the Lord, Maybe we are a doer more than one that likes to just sit and read the word and just be in his presence. Whatever that is, those areas that we struggle with, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love us, that he doesn't see us, and that we don't have faith, right? So I love that because I'm like, wow, it talks about how Jesus loved Martha. And yet she's the one that we like preach against, like, don't be like a Martha. But she, she had faith. She loved the Lord. So she wasn't really known for her passionate response to God like, like Mary, but she had a relationship with Jesus. And it was very different from that of Mary. But God didn't love her any differently. You see that God has a different relationship with each one of us. We're all very unique to the Lord. We all have different giftings and different ways we talk to the Lord, different ways we, we hear his voice in our life. And sometimes it can be easy to be like, oh, I wish I had that from so-and-so. When, when we really admire someone, and most of the time we admire people who are really strong in areas that we lack. You know, it's like, oh, this person's awesome because they can do this really, really well, and I, I can't do that. We have to remember, God wired us uniquely for a purpose that only we can do. 
that we can glorify God through the giftings that he gave us. And I feel like God's kind of showing that a little bit here with Martha and Mary, the, con- the contri- contradiction or the contrast between their relationships with Jesus. Okay, so going back to the passage, um, Jesus was really patient with, with Martha when he explained to her that he was the resurrection of the life. Because she says, well, I know, God, that I know that he will come back to life on the resurrection day in verse 24. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live and, if, and never die and not die. Even if he dies, the, he will live and believe in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord. He's really patient in explaining this to her. He's like, no, I am the resurrection and the life. Your brother's going to live. Again, God doesn't work within the realms of our understanding. He works in the supernatural. He does the impossible, and his ways are higher than our ways, right? We talked about that last week, but he's so patient with us. He doesn't get frustrated with us that we don't understand. Even when he's speaking very clearly and we don't get it, he's not, he's not frustrated with us. He's so patient with us. Now, I want to look at um, this section on Mary. Okay, so in verse 28, it says, And when she had said this, Martha went and called her sister Mary, saying privately, The teacher is here and asking for you. So when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still in the place where Martha had come out to meet him. And then the people who were with Mary in the house, consoling her, saw her get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. I'm going to go ahead and finish this. Now, in verse 32, now when Mary came to the place where Jesus was, she saw him. She fell at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then Jesus saw her weeping, and the people who had come with her weeping, he was intensely moved in the spirit and greatly distressed. And he asked, where have you laid him? And they replied, Lord, come and see him. But some of them said, this man who caused the blind to see, couldn't he have done something to keep Lazarus from dying? We're we're all... We've all done that. God, you could do anything. Couldn't you have stopped this from happening? Why is this happening, right? Okay, so I think what's interesting about this, again, is the sisters' two different relationships and two different ways they react to this scenario. We all have our own way of processing grief and trials and tribulation, okay? And Jesus is patient with us, however we're going to process that. And we see that here. So Martha immediately came out to Jesus. Mary stayed in the house and was crying. She didn't come right away with her, like her sisters did. And I can't help but wonder if Martha, a bit of a more emotional person, like myself, I feel everything. Martha is giving herself time. She's processing through her grief. She's not rushing it. She's like, I'm just, I'm going to cry. My brother's dead. I'm going to cry. It's interesting that Jesus In in verse 30, it says, Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still in the same place where Martha had come out to meet him. And I thought, Lord, why? Why? Why was he in the same place? There's a reason why this is written in Scripture. This is important for us, that Jesus stayed in the same place. It would have been easier for Jesus just to go with Martha to see Mary, but that's not what he does. He waits. So it takes twice as much time for Martha to go back, get Mary, and come out. And Jesus waited where he was. I think this is a testament, an example of his patience with us. That he waited for Mary. He didn't force himself 
on her grief. He waited for her to come to him. Just like we talked about in Jeremiah 29, verse 13 and 14, you will, come, you will call upon me. You will come and pray to me and you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Last week we talked about Hagar and how God found her in the desert and he went and he ministered to her. This we see a very different side of the Lord right here where there are situations in our life where God will come and show up and speak very clearly to us. And then there were other times where he's waiting for us to come to him. He's waiting for us to invite him into what we're going through. And we see that happen here with Mary. He's available to us always, but this is a mutual relationship. And God knows that sometimes we need time and we need to come to him in certain situations. So Mary fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Mary says the exact same thing as Martha. They both said it. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And in the first situation, in the first instance, Jesus immediately says to Martha, hey, your brother's going to live, right? But in this situation, he responds to Mary so differently. This verse is laden with feeling because you can see she fell at his feet. And of course, she has a crowd of mourners with her. So they're all crying. This is a very intense situation. What I love here is that neither one of these women, even though they had very different relationships with Jesus, they didn't hold back their feelings from him. They both said, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. They both expressed that disappointment and that lack of understanding, maybe frustration. Like, Jesus, this wouldn't have happened if you would have come when I sent for you. And we saw clearly that Jesus waited. He waited two days. But we see that they can be honest with him. We don't have to hide our feelings, our frustration, our lack of understanding, whatever that is. We don't have to hide that from the Lord because he knows it anyway. He already see, he knows every thought in our head. In Psalms, he talks about that. You, you know the thoughts before I even say the words are formed on my mouth. You know me. You know when I sleep and when I rise. You know everything about my life. You created me. Like, God knows. So we don't have to hide and hold back from him those things that we are processing through and struggling with in our life, good and bad. We can be ourselves with Jesus. Both of these women were completely being themselves. They weren't trying to be something they weren't. They were talking to Jesus within the relationship that they had with him. They weren't trying to be correct. I think sometimes as Christians, we need to have an awe reverence of God. Absolutely, we do. But we also need to remember that he says he's our friend. He's a friend that we can talk to, that we can vent to, that we can have this relationship with, or we can be completely honest. Because really, we're just kind of lying to ourselves when we're not. Like, oh, God doesn't know that I'm really angry at him for this situation. No, he does. He knows. You just don't want to tell him. You're saving face, but he knows. So just tell him, because he already knows anyway, right? And we see these women doing that. They're being completely honest with him. And I think, too, it's interesting that sometimes we, as Christians, can make ourselves kind of turn our emotions off in a way. It's like, okay, Lord, I know that you're working in our life. And so we go to the word of God and we start, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to hang on to this scripture. I'm just going to quote this scripture over myself. I'm just going to, 
I'm just going to be this. And yes, we, that is important that we do that. I'm not saying don't do that, but I'm saying that there are times in our lives where we need to process and grieve because if we stuff down kind of those feelings that we're having towards the Lord or with the Lord, from the Lord, that you can't grow. The word of God is so important for us to grow, but so is being able to be transparent with the Lord. There are areas of our life when we hold back, we're literally kind of sectioning off, okay, God, I'm going to section off this area, and I don't like this area, so I'm going to be more like you want me to be, and I'm going to go to the Word, and I'm going to quote these verses. I'm going to memorize these verses, and this is who I want to become. And God's saying, that's amazing. I know that you can become that too, but we still have to deal with this over here. Right? And we see that these women, are they're doing that. They're processing through this. But God is so passionate for us. He cares for us. He cares what's in our hearts. He knows we have feelings. He gave them to us, right? He's not asking us to hold anything back from him. But he also wants to be invited into those places in our life that we, we aren't inviting him into. There are places where he's like, I, I want to talk to you, but you're not letting me in. You're not allowing me. You're not allowing my voice into your life. Last or next, I want to see that God's plan is going to prevail. His plan always prevails. No matter how long it takes. Okay, I'm doing okay on time. All right, so in verse 39, Martha tries to stop Jesus from calling Lazarus forth. Let me, I missed a part here. So Jesus, verse 38, we'll start there. Jesus intensely moved again, came to the tomb, and now it was a cave, and the stone was placed across it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, replied, Lord, by this time the body will have a bad smell, because he's been buried for four days. Martha's super practical. I mean, she's just like, she just tells you like it is. You know, she's like, God, it's kind of smell bad. Like he's been in there for four days. Now, she believes he can do anything, but at the same time, she's like, you can do anything. God can do anything, but yeah, it's going to smell. Lord, it's going to smell. Right? So, um, and he says to her, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up toward upward and said, Father, I thank you that you have listened to me. I know that you always listen to me, but I say it for the sake of the crowd standing around me, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, he shouted to the Lord in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the one who had died came out, his feet and hands tied up with the strips of cloth and the cloth wrapped around his face. And Jesus said to them, go and unwrap him and let him go. Okay, so back to verse 39. By this time... Body would have smelled because he's been in there for four days. Four days is, is a long time to be in the cave, right? Again, we see here that Jesus sees past the natural. He knows what God is going to do. And he's not hindered by what's actually happening in, on this earth, that, that he's been dead for four days. God's plan is going to prevail no matter how long something has been dead both figuratively and realistically in our life, when we feel that we, something has died, when we feel like we have given up on something, when we feel like God has forgotten about whatever that is, nothing is impossible for him to resurrect. Amen? So I want to look at um, Ezekiel 37. This, I think I have time. I do have time to read it. Thank you, Lord. I really wanted to read this passage to you guys, but I didn't know if I'd have enough time. We're going to go there real quick. 
Ezekiel 37, and this is um, where Ezekiel, who is a prophet of the Lord, um, God takes him to a valley of bones. And I want to, it's a valley of dry bones. We're going to start in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and placed me in the midst of a valley, and it was full of bones. And he made me walk all around among them. And I realized there was a great many bones in the valley, and they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said to him, Sovereign Lord, you know. And that's the right answer, right? God, only you know. And then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and tell them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. Look, I'm about to infuse breath into you, and you will live. I will put tendons on you and muscles over you, and I will cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will live. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I commanded. And there was a sound when I prophesied. I heard a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. As I watched, I saw tendons on them. Then muscle appeared. The skin covered over them from above. And there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. And I said to the Lord, and, and say to the breath, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe in these corpses so that they may live. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an extremely great army. Guys, these were bones, bones. They had... Nothing. God literally, out of bones, put things back together. I can't even wrap my mind around this scenario. I can't even, I don't know how, if I were Ezekiel, I would have been shaking in fear of like, oh my gosh, this is happening around me. This is real, God is really working here and I don't even know how to respond to this, right? God's, plan and purpose prevail in our life. No matter if something has been dead for four days or for however many years these bones were, were dead, God's plan is going to prevail in our life. I don't know where you're going to find yourself tonight, what you relate to in all these passages that I've shared. But I want to encourage you guys tonight that nothing is too far gone or too dead for God to resurrect it, for God to repair it, for God to heal it, for God to restore it. If he can resurrect a man that's been dead for four days or a valley of dry bones, he can do anything in your life. Nothing is too far gone for God. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is still seated on the throne He has a plan, he has a purpose, he is patient with us, he is passionate about us, and his plan prevails. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's pray. God, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that through your word, God, we have insight into our relationship with you. God, we have insight into the miracles that you have done. It's such an encouragement, Lord, to know that this word still stands true today that it is living and it is active in our life. And God, I thank you for each and every heart in this room. No matter where they are with you, Lord, I just pray that you would increase 
their ability to be honest with you. God, you would increase our heart to just share with you anything and everything that we are going through, God, because you are a friend. And Lord, we don't want to hold back any area of our life from you, from your wisdom and from your insight, Lord. Lord, will you increase our eyes and our ability to see and hear what you're doing in our life beyond what we can see in the natural, beyond what we can see with our own understanding, God? Will you increase our understanding of what you're doing in our lives and in the lives of those around us? Give us that insight, Lord. Give us wisdom. God, we thank you. You are so patient with us. And God, you love us unconditionally. God, we thank you that you have a plan and that your plan prevails. And so, Lord, I just speak to every heart tonight. God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten his plan for your life, his plan for your family, his plan for your children, his plan for those friends that don't know him. God has not forgotten. And, Lord, I thank you that you will be glorified and you will be magnified in and through us, through our lives, Lord. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Thank you guys for being here with us tonight. Pastor Jeff will be here next week. So we'll see you then.